and welcome to yet another podcast of The Dicer Screaming. Oh, oh a deep one. Yes, that's right. We are in good mood tonight. It is a rainy night here in Southwest Michigan. Without the unnecessary thunder, so just rainy and beautiful. Uh, good fall evening. Yes, and of course, uh, we're here. To bring you our opinions on something that probably is gaming related, or we hope. <laughs> Thoughts, notions, feels. Feels. <laughs> Mostly feels. We laughed. We cried. We got head pats. <laughs> oh, man. No, it's a, it's a wonderful weekend before us. So, let's uh, launch right in. We're not throwing around topics yet. No. Nope, uh, but we do have some call-ins. Today. Yes, we do. And Jason from the RPG Nerd Variety Podcast, yes, has deigned to give us yet another opinion about some of our previous podcasts. So excellent. We're going to turn it right over to you, Dave, and get or right into it. Jason, 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 ah, Dave's. <laughs> oh, Dave's. Yes, Jason. Forgive me. These are the Dave's I know. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now it's the mics. But take it away, Jason. Hey, Jason here from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast. Just want to comment on a couple things real quick. I just listened to the Dune episode and... No, I didn't. I just listened to the Wendy's episode and the Nature episode. So on the Wendy's episode, I think you guys did a great coverage on that. at a healthy way to approach it. And pretty much agree with you. So not much to say there. The... Nature episode, I want to mention that currently one of the games I play in is Cody M of the podcast No Save for You. Highly recommend it. But he runs a Barrow Maze game that we play online. And a couple sessions ago, we had our retainers out with the horses while we were down in the Barrow Maze. And they got attacked by some kind of pterodactyls or some kind of... So I, I was hesitant to mention it, and then at the end of the episode, you rolled into dinosaurs so i figured yeah that'd be cool to throw that in there we we also giant scorpions had, had the party had faced giant scorpions before and they were pretty tough creatures so when they found some recently shed skins there was a pretty serious discussion whether we should leave because there are scorpions in the area or we should try to track them down because if they just shed the skins that modded or whatever the right word is then maybe their current skin is soft and they might be easier to hit so that was kind of cool but anyhow, great episodes. I look forward to your next one. Keep up the great work. All right. Thanks a lot, Jason. Yeah, glad you enjoyed the uh, Wendy's, uh, our take on the Wendy's RPG. I mean, it's... Yeah, I, I, I got to say, I, it was an effort to be fair because, uh, look, uh, I, I've been around long enough and seen enough marketing attempts, uh, pushed at niches, and I, I drift if I allow myself into a really you know, anti-advertising, anti-marketing bent. Uh, so I I really tried to have it tongue-in-cheek and just kind of be, you know, factual about it uh, without letting my inner aggro go too badly. I, oh, yeah. I, I wanted to be reasonable about it because uh, it, it was, you know, a, a good faith effort on people's part, and it, my, my gut instinct is... <laughs> uh, would have let me misbehave and just rant. Uh, and I, I don't want to be, you kids get off my lawn! Uh, all episode. <laughs> well, yeah, and also, they, 
while they may have made a good attempt, it it is what it is, and yeah, you know, yeah, we're gonna get marketed to eventually, and so here it comes. So, yeah, glad you agreed, and uh, yeah, we didn't want to have any toxicity about it. You know, if you had you don't like it, don't like it. I mean, yeah, that's fair. <clears throat> and if you do like it, or just think it's kind of fun, like my wife and uh, her uh, Abby uh, Dorensky, uh, is that uh, Dorensky? I have a hard time with her name too. Um, She's uh, pretty excited about it, uh, wanting to try it. Uh, she watched the Critical Role thing and was quite uh, giddy about that as well. But yeah, you know, there's if there's fun to be had, have your fun, and that's all. <laughs> that's the best that can come from these sort of things. So that's it. But also on the nature thing, I'm glad you uh, grooved on that because that's exactly what I do a lot of times when they leave their horses out. And of course, compliments to you on Barrow Maze. That's awesome. Oh, uh, and love that. Uh, podcast where you co DM. Well, I'll check that out. Uh, yeah, first, best name ever. No save for you. Yeah. <laughs> the save Nazi. Yes. Just no saves. No, I, I, I like the name already. It sounds like a premium uh, live gaming podcast. Yeah, so we'll be, we'll be checking that out, so thanks for that. But yeah, there's a lot of things that uh, you know, if you know anything about biology or the animal kingdom, you can always salt that in with your... Uh, uh, gaming experiences, like I said, with the giant scorpions having their castings, you know they may be a little uh, weak yet. Their uh, chitin has yet to fully uh, yeah, harden up. No extra carapace at the moment. You know, just just still freshly. You know, like oh, they've molted, uh, <laughs> and uh, or alternately, if the DM is particularly uh, uh, irate, like no, they're twice as dangerous. Uh, they're just incredibly attack oriented right now. They're super sensitive. No, I, I don't know. I don't know which way that would go in in nature. I, I don't know the behavior of scorpions well. Um, Worth usually research. they're more aggressive right after shedding. Mm. They're usually pretty ornery, uh, so much like tarantulas uh, that I've raised. That they are uh, kind of pissed off right before and after. Oh, they're a little agitated. Okay. I imagine it's painful for them, and, you know, the process is not exactly... It doesn't look pleasant. It's kind of disturbing to watch them shed. See, and this is where, like, I feel lucky that we're humans. I mean, yeah. we get stuff like dandruff. Yeah. Okay? And, you know, they get, like, it, my whole skin had to come off. <laughs> so, but, yeah, you know, that's that's the thing that we were trying to get at, is that there's all sorts of things in the na uh, natural world that obviously translate to fantasy gaming, and other things as well, but, uh, you know, keeping uh, the players on their toes and always uh, having something in your toolkit as a DM to vex them with or make them question their surroundings is appropriate. But you borrow that from watching the Animal Planet. I did make a mistake by saying Discovery Channel because Discovery really doesn't have much these <laughs> days to do with uh, <laughs> animals. Uh, no, no. Maybe no, Shark Week, that's really, about it. Really got to go to uh, Animal Planet to... Uh to get that stuff. Now. Yeah. But uh, that's where I got about the Lions of the Soul and uh, are the leopards, that leopard in uh, Afri East Africa that killed like 300 people. Good Lord. Yeah. That, Horrific. That's, you know, man. Uh, <laughs> that is that is quite an appetite. Yep. Uh, sweet tooth for people. Huh. Yeah, but uh, hey, I... Uh, Keep it coming, and we'll check you out on that. Uh, but uh, I think that does this for our call-ins, and uh, we'll get into topic. But uh, first, got to pay the bills, or at least uh, do some facsimile therein. 
and uh, do a little advertisement. So we'll be right back after the break. So stick around. Okay, we're back and we're ready for some topic. Hopefully you are too. Yes, expect no less from the rabid wombat of gaming podcasts. Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> the much overlooked magic card. Rabid Wombat. Mm. There you go, going back a ways, which, hey, is in keeping with our topic for today's free-for-all. Yeah, um, what we're going to talk about today is Return to the Tabletop. And uh, while you may think that, like, hey, you guys already talk about tabletop role-playing games, this kind of fits in with everything that's been going on lately. Going our... a little meta with it, okay? We're, we're like, bigger picture, okay? You, you got the... The camera is focused on this field in Iowa, and then it pans back until you've got the whole earth in the shot. Uh, so we're going a little metatopic on this one. Yeah, if Wendy's is marketing to the RPG community and uh, corporations are starting to take notice as there is a potential for revenue, why is that? Well, uh, probably around in the late 80s, Video games started to slowly catch, have slowly been catch, started to being catch up to the role playing community and uh, things like Secret of the Silver Blades, uh, Dragon Riders of Kryn, all that stuff. Those computer games from the SSI Gold Box sets uh, really showed the potential of the computer gaming, how to harness the role playing game elements. Now, um. There is some overlap here that we're going to go back and revisit in a minute, but to set the scene on the table of this is that role-playing games in the 90s were kind of looked as they might be going the way of the dodo. Yes, okay, with the increasing strength of certain, well, the variety of platforms available uh, for video games, you know, just a wide variety of platforms depending on people's comfort with them, and then the you know, emergence of a truly dominant MMORPG-based uh, thing. And not, not, that was not early 90s, but by the time you got to the late 90s, mm -hmm. MMORPG had arrived fully and was in, you know, full gear uh, with huge numbers of subscribers and users, and it was spreading exponentially, okay, just... Yeah, Ultima, EverQuest had been out. Uh, these huge leaps forward for internet gaming, I, I'm not saying it was responsible for the diminishment of role-playing games. There were There's some shame to go around for everybody in the RPG industry uh, where, you know, like, some mistakes were made. Uh, Hindsight. <laughs> but, but a lot of things were happening at the same time, and the net effect was that the role-playing game was kind of taking a beating. The, the tabletop game, the board game... Uh, you know, even CCGs, which had experienced a meteoric rise, were kind of leveling out. And the big sales, the big gains, belonged to video game franchises. Yep, and they started to really take hold with the emergence of World of Warcraft. Now, we're going to stop it right there and kind of walk it back a little bit and take you through this process. This process, of course, was due to the fact that a lot of people were also having time constraints. They didn't have time to sit down and you know read a bunch of books and get together with their friends. And so a lot of the RPG community that had been built up through uh, the play styles and you know module sales of the 
early 90s and late 80s were now really starting to pinch because they weren't selling as much. Oh, and let's face it, there was a generational component, is that the generation that sort of initiated this, the the age group that carried the torch, uh, had emerged out of their teens, uh, phased into and out of their 20s, and had hit that busy zone where, you know, like, you've, you've got a house, you've got kids, you know, you have lots of things to do on your plate. You're extremely busy uh, at that phase yeah. of life. And this was the the age group that had really carried the weight, you know. Yeah, and games like Diablo, uh, which were very simple in their interface, but uh, complicated in the way that you know, throughout the end game and the multiplayer interfaces uh, began to kick in, showed that there was some potential for people to just play online. And there was a community in AOL, America Online, that used the Neverwinter Nights engine uh, for theirs. I forget what it was called. Was that the Kingmaker? Yeah, that was Neverwinter Nights. Yeah, that was the original. The Kingmaker edition where you spawned, you built your own adventures and dungeons and things like that? No, I think uh, Kingmaker was... Uh, oh, that came later. Yeah, that was a lot. All right. But, that's, uh, a, that's a newer release. But, yeah, um, the graphics weren't great, but they were efficient. They were sufficient for the time to make use of what you needed to know and how to do it. And it was still pretty much turn-based like you would expect in a tabletop. But you could have a bunch of player characters under your control and go through adventures and have you know, role-playing decisions and other things that you made throughout the game. So it was much like D&D. And so that was the model that went into. And then, of course, we talk about World of Warcraft, which brings us more or less to the time when about in 2005, when we're just going to say, wow, took off fully. It took the gaming, uh, the video gaming community by storm. I mean, it literally was massive. Number one with a bullet. There had been others before, but they had some problems and blizzard learned from them well and they took these lessons oh, well, and to yeah. heart and made changes so that world of warcraft was made particularly to appeal to you played by yourself but would group up with others and then try to uh, form guilds to achieve greater content yeah the uh, actions that you undertake ultimately uh can have an impact on the game that everyone else is playing. Uh, you know, that there's a sense there. Yeah, there was a couple of events early in the what's now called the WoW Classic where you unlock certain things on your server for everybody else to experience. Yeah. Raids and uh, dungeons. Uh, and this was an impressive piece of marketing. I, I want to mention that, to be specific about one of the things they did right, uh, they observed the things that went wrong. Uh, the things that frustrated and irritated people, uh, the worst sins of other games. The uh, There was a drift, and there still is to some degree, there is a drift towards pay-to-play, uh, yeah. where the amount of money that you spend uh, can impact the ease of gameplay or the accessible options. Now, companies naturally want that kind of streaming permanent line of revenue. But gamers who were not used to such a thing found that extremely offensive. They're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I play for six months. Some guy shows up, drops a thousand dollars, and their character is better geared, better equipped, better powered than I can ever be. So it's really just money ball. 
that of sense of offense by gamers was noticed by Blizzard. They paid attention to that and they removed most of that type of thing. Now there's little perks that you can buy, little skins. These are not major game affecting, uh, you know, performance adjusting things. These are not steroids, for, mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, competition play. So they nerfed that. Uh, they also got rid of some of the wealth extraction uh, schemes that were cropping up as people were farming golden items and then selling them in online markets for actual cash. Uh, you know, they, they started to nix some of that nonsense. And let's face it, they smartly controlled their atmosphere to make sure that anybody who was playing the game uh, was standing on a pretty level playing field with everybody else, and it's how how much time and effort do you dedicate? Uh, also, uh, to mention the sins of EverQuest, uh, enormous commitments in terms of personal time were required while you just waited for something to happen. Um, WoW did away with that. They combated that kind of uh, issue successfully, and the end result was that they developed a platform that had popularity that lasted. Yeah, I would I would definitely say that the pay-to-win uh, formula wasn't really around. It was there, but it's starting to come back, and that leads us to where we are right now. But more importantly, we call this uh, episode Return to the Tabletop because about four or five years ago, the board game industry, which includes Dungeons & Dragons, all of the role-playing games, as well as things like Jenga, Clue, Risk, oh, yeah. as Parker well as uh, Carcassonne and... Oh, Carcassonne. And um, uh, Settlers of Catan. All those board games are lumped together. An industry about four or five years ago was listed around about $9 billion. Total sales, planet-wide, you know. For the major companies, you know, and even right. some of the modest little companies. I, I'm not sure if there are numbers that are accurate for the tiny little hole-in-the-wall companies. But, yeah, planet-wide, I mean, that that's a pretty robust sales five years ago. Yeah, and now they're coming up to close to, it was 19, so we're just going to call it about $20 billion this year. That's the current estimates for 2019. And that includes a big chunk how much Dungeons & Dragons has taken a rise in their stock in that, as well as games like Magic as well, still a leader, as well as Warhammer. But here's the point, is that by 2025, it's predicted at this level of growth that it'll be worth about $25 billion in 2025. Now, you say, okay, well, those are numbers. What does that all mean? Well, the video game industry makes about $135 million, billion, dollars, I'm yeah. sorry, uh, in 2018. And that was their uh, total gains, you know, minus less that on uh, their profit to loss margins. But they're not experiencing that degree of radical growth, okay? They're not doubling in four years, uh, you know, the, the pace of increase uh, yeah, indicates there's... a resurgence in tabletop gaming overall of, in games of all types that are less digital and more personal. So there is a measurable market trend 
taking place right now. Yeah, it's still about one-fifth, even at 2025, of what it would be. But that's a big change from where it was. And, you know, in when we were talking in the early uh, 90s to late 90s, it was starting to be apparent that if you weren't involved, if your role-playing franchise was not involved in video games, it would totally disappear. Now, of course, Call of Cthulhu has just finally come out with a uh, new game that's available on Steam. Um, but they didn't have one before then. There were various games that were set in the Lovecraftian tone, but they were not marketed as a direct port of the Call of Cthulhu game. Now, if I recall correctly, Paranoia 2 is getting the treatment yes. uh, and getting to be a video game, which I literally am waiting with bated breath. That, right. I want to see that. And here's the thing is that they predicted that the role-playing games and board games would go to the way of the Dodo. Now, of course, in about the uh, same time WoW was coming out, board games began increasing uh, in resurgence, especially to European games versus the typical American model, but not going to get involved in that too much other than to say that that also played a part into the fact that people were searching for something a little different when you want to disconnect from a computer or a social network. Now, in 2005, it is as prevalent as it is now. I would say about 2012, 2013, really social media and other uh, realms like Twitch and Roll Die 20 and others started coming into the fore. Yeah, the prominence of the smartphone uh, put social media at the forefront of all media. That, like a device in everybody's pocket uh, gave them internet access. So, like we're using right now. Yeah, you you suddenly see this paradigm shift that it, it was coming. Okay, it was it was nascent before that, but it. It became incredible. Yeah, prominent. it really took off. And now, social media accounts can make and break a lot of people. But, not to get too far out in the weeds on that one. Again, trying to keep this into a... Yeah, tabletop oriented. That that level of connectivity. We're more connected, but we're more isolated than ever before. And so, gaming has started to take, tabletop gaming in particular, started to take a resurgence. And so we see a return to the tabletop rather than waiting for it to die a lonely, sad death eaten by wolves. Um, it's, <laughs> yeah, it, it, it seemed like it was wounded and limping towards safety for a while there. Uh, but then it roared back to life. Uh, you know, somebody, somebody got their hit points back and jumped in the ring fighting again. And... I don't think that the, being a video game enthusiast or a role-playing game or board game enthusiast makes you hostile to either one. Uh, there oh, are a few yeah, people I, who grumble around the internet saying, you know, that <laughs> why would I want to sit around a bunch of table with dorks when I can sit on uh, Call of Duty with a bunch of dorks? Yeah, okay. Uh, yeah, that guy, um, yeah, he exists. He's out there. Um, yeah, and, and vice versa. You yeah, know, the role-playing... There are role-playing enthusiasts who are just con convinced that there is no other form of gaming but this, and any other form of gaming is a impure version, you know, uh, bad, wrong, fun, um, <laughs> or meaningless. Uh, no, these things are intersectional. I've almost never met someone who enjoyed either board games, role-playing games, or uh, other, you know, similar tabletop stuff lived in a vacuum that did not include video games, mm -hmm. science fiction and fantasy TV shows and movies, uh, and books. You know, just 
these things careen and karam back and forth uh, amongst one another and inspire the same groups of people. And so you have this constant process of people who they have their in moment where like I saw a movie that I really liked and I would like to try something that is reminiscent of that. Uh, good for them, man. Join the team. High fives all around. Welcome to it. But another package you were talking about earlier was the pay to win. And I think that has also started to hurt a lot of people's enjoyment and sour their experiences in these uh, video games where they have downloadable content, you know, like, okay, you can buy the base game, but then you get this extra content available here and, and more content available here and some extra gear and equipment over here. You know, and when you're done, you're paying $150 for playing a game. Yeah, now, but, uh, I, I understand that, like, times have changed and prices have changed. I'm not stuck in curmudgeon mode going, back in my day, it was five cents. Uh, no, that's not the point. Uh, the The point was that you know, even though a well thought out, carefully developed game is nowadays more like fifty or sixty bucks instead of ten, uh, you know, in, in video game terms, it's those tack on prices that kick the final yep. cost up uh, for you to enjoy the same level of gameplay as other players. Uh, you're committing a very large amount of money uh, for a comparatively small amount of reward. Session. And also they've grown so massive in scope and content and also complexity of play that they're not able to be picked up and put down for a period of time lest you, your skills atrophy or your memory starts to fade on what the radial dials on your controller do. And even if you play with a keyboard, the complexity of the actions that you're asked to take require a level of skill that you have to get used to. Any interfaces uh, with more than just attack and run options is bound to be, excuse me, fraught with complexity and different keystrokes to be memorized and combinations. Yeah, those of us who remember some of the early days of video games recall, you know, uh, right, right, left, left, right, left, 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 Oh, left, yeah, the, the right, Mortal Kombat, right, left, left, Street Fighters. Right, you know, uh, you know you, you've got 14 things to do before you can execute that combo if you can stay alive that long. Some of them got a little ludicrous as time went on. You know, and that's it was, where it was just three or four things, it was not so bad. But when you get to a certain point, you're just chasing insanity. And we're starting to cruise towards that again, where the level of complexity is almost out of hand. And also, for the level of play, like Red Dead, Red Dead Redemption, blah, 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 blah. It's uh, <laughs> a tongue twister there uh, for me. Um, you know, you can play through it in a hot weekend, you know, where you just, you know, can shelter yourself in, and uh, if you have the time and uh, ability, you can stay up and just complete it. And so all that money went for just a few hours of enjoyment. Yeah, so well, that's another thing. You know, more than a few hours, to be fair. More than a few well, hours. Well, you know, 48, but, 72 hours, you know, but, uh, what are yeah. they saying now? It's like a 90-hour walkthrough yeah, to that, complete uh, every single facet. Uh, at for a person with a busy work schedule, you know, you're in a couple of weeks, uh, and then... Right, but the hardcore gamer, who has the time to invest, usually, you know, uh, younger and single, has that ability. But, so now, all this investment has led to another thing, which turns around to where Dungeons & Dragons has its appeal, that I don't, I think will give it the enduring quality of a classic game, like chess, or poker, or Monopoly, even. With 
putting it right up there with the greats is the fact that it's highly customizable and it provides the other facet that the none of the other games, maybe except for uh, board games and some of the card games, the human interaction, a social format wherein you meet with four to eight people each week or whatever um, schedule you have, even twice a month or monthly, it allows you to have that schedule wherein you can customize your experience, create the character you want, and also develop the world and play in the environment all to your liking. And if you want to go to South Shore to Booty Bay, you don't have to wait for the boat to show up. You know, it's what you make that decision and then it's played out in the game. You don't have to load screens. You don't have to have an expansion to do this. This is all right there. Now, of course, you can say, well, you know, supplements and material. Well, right. But if you buy those things, that's fine. But if you are creating your homebrew campaign or just, you know, developing it as you go, as you play, the world is wide open for you. Yeah. And the ultimate code designer is the DM and the players. You're, you're in for your core rule books, and that's it, honestly. You know, you, you can run a fully-fledged campaign without any of the extra bells, whistles, perks. They're non-necessary. Uh, yeah, useful if you're the DM, but not everybody needs them. And, I mean, if you invested your time and effort in being a DM, you tend to accumulate these books. Uh, but the core rule books, once you've got that down, you have all the ingredients you need. No more, no less. Uh, and you can iron gamer it and just be like, okay, you know, we have a bestiary and a DM's guide and a player's handbook. Close the door behind us. Whatever happens stays here. So right. Just that's it. Yeah. Once you put your, uh, <laughs> once you get a map of the world and the locations, and the DM has things ready to run, it's wide open experience for you. And, and that's you cannot see a person. It doesn't take smile. seven eight years of design time to come out with the next great expansion to the campaign. Like, wow, that campaign's over. What do we do next? Well, here's more. You know, it just takes the DM time to sometimes say, like, hey, I don't have this place developed, give me a week. And now that I know where we're going, I'll have this developed and sketched out for you. You know, that that's... random element is uh, the, the human creativity element. Now, the, God, that brings up a point that uh, I really wanted to make in this. Mm. Um, the video game industry, during its greatest period of explosive growth was being driven by creative writers and developers who were principally influenced by tabletop role-playing. Uh, a lot of the big-selling games, I mean, whether it's World of Warcraft, you know, obviously right. a fantasy setting, uh, with necromancers and paladins and things like that, uh, all of these, if you, like, throw in, uh, you know, the Final Fantasies and uh, the... Uh, Diablo and, uh, well, even, you know, StarCraft being a science fiction zone. All Mass these, Effect. Yeah, these massive sale video games uh, came from a generation that was already inundated in fantasy fiction and science fiction and gaming. So the net effect of being inspired by tabletop role-playing led to an enormous surge in creativity in video game and other visual entertainments. Uh, 
I think we're going to see another surge like that soon because an, a large part of a generation is going back to gaming and they're back having the experiences, top. they're having creativity, they're exchanging ideas and notions, and they're being incredibly creative while they do it. Uh, and in 10 years, those are going to be the people writing the code and developing the plot and doing the storyboards and thinking up what would be a nifty new game idea for people to play. So that well of creativity is back in action. And yeah, so, I also you know, roll the clock forward, and I, I just promise you, you know, you're going to see another leap forward in video games soon. Yeah, but, I think that video games have a lot of challenges to overcome, and if they overcome them in the right ways and don't kill the goose. Yeah, uh, let's. Uh, well, you know, for pay to win plus downloadable content plus enormity of scope and time invested into projects. I mean, well, there's a Borderlands Three is just come out and. They took their sweet time with it. and But during that time, they offered plenty to keep people playing Borderlands 2 with small events and things like that. So you could always come back and play again and again and have a fun time. But everybody knew that it was going to come out. They just didn't know when. And when people started saying, oh, well, a new Borderlands expansion. Well, you know, you're just going to have to wait. And they waited. And, well, patience paid off. They didn't kill themselves. Whereas I do kind of have an axe to grind with some of the studios that do what Red Dead Redemption did, which was we're going to work our code engineers to death and then, you know, get this game, <laughs> get this pig in a can with multiple glitches that can be completed in about, you know, like I said, a hot weekend if you're on ball. But the yeah, more important point is, is that they can cr overcome these challenges and they're growing pains to be sure. The one thing is, is a role-playing game, or, you know, like a board game is limited to its pieces and its board. You know, after you you can't do anything that the components and the cards and all the other gods don't allow you to do, if that's the limit to it, it's still a fun time, and that's going to happen with the video game. But I think with also the rise of things like Untitled Goose Game, which is just, you know, <coughs> a, which is just a, a goose running amok in a sleepy hamlet. And, uh, you know... Still a good time to be had. I oh, mean, yeah. yeah. Like, for, for your app-type app game. Oh. Well, it's a it's Highly computer, and uh, I think it's Switch right now. It's not yet ported. It, it is a little bit more complex than just drag and drop, but it's, you know, of uh, making a gardener hit his thumb, that, that was while he was trying to put up a no-goose-allowed sign. That was great. Honking. Uh, as a weapon. That, yeah, they just uh, there enormous creativity in in both video games uh, and tabletop role playing games at the moment. We're we're kind of in a golden age, which I've said that before, but uh, I absolutely do believe it's true. We're we are watching a uh, yeah one of those wonderful periods where uh, there is enough receptiveness in the marketplace to make it possible for a wide variety of persons to put their idea out there and experience some success and get it out to where people can find it. I yeah, like and it didn't take a whole team of developers to do it. It was It's a simple game, and of course it's played, but it shows that there's a need for a little bit of simplicity and walk it back a little bit more. And also, going back to some turn-based games, too, that have uh, started to become hits, like the Kingmaker game, uh, the Pathfinder, or Owlcat games put out for Pathfinder where, uh, you know, it, it hits the old turn-based uh, 
from Neverwinter Nights and all that, where you have you can take your time out and make your decisions based on what you want to do. Which, uh, yeah, if you, for those who remember Neverwinter Nights, uh, that radio, radio menu, oh boy, you know, when, yeah. you, when you're trying to encompass all of the options available in a game like Dungeons and Dragons without stripping it uh, of most of its features, uh, they had to come up with a new menu option because uh, being able to pause was critical because you may need to decide what spell to use. Uh, and you have like 30 of them at high level and you're just like, what do I do? Uh, well, yeah, but more to the point too, it shows that the strength of the role-playing game is being fully recognized. Board games, always going to be there with us. Card games, going to be there with us for forever as well. And But the role-playing game is a highly customizable, intuitive interface that just basically works on your imagination. Dice and rules, yes, are there. And they're probably also going to be one of the components. But they are the melding between the unlimited amount of imagination that you can have set with parameters to make it a challenge. For instance, I can't, you can't do everything. You can't have a character that is everything and does it well. Uh, the entire objective was to spread the fun around. Right, to and so everybody gets people, a slice of the pie. Yeah, everybody's got a role to play. Everybody's got a place at the table, so to speak. No, no puns intended there. But, you know, everybody has something that they bring to the event uh, that makes them needed. And I think the arc is is that video games should do what they do best, providing a first-person shooter-type environment and as well as the interaction with a multiplayer game. I love a good story unfolding. Uh, I but you're it. never going to beat the customization and intimacy that is had at a table of yeah, gamers. The, the human element, the, the chaos created by five or six divergent personalities uh, working in concert constantly. Uh, you know, th there's something absolutely unique about that that you just can't get. Uh, I've never really found it. Like, I have never once, in all of the years of both kinds of gaming, uh, be it, you know, virtual or tabletop, I've never once seen a video game involve me with like a half a dozen people that I then proceeded to game with constantly for years and develop a rapport. Uh, that just doesn't exist in that paradigm, and I don't even look for it there at this stage. Uh, I, I wouldn't expect to find that there. Only the tabletop has given me that unique satisfaction. Well, I did find that experience, the interaction in WoW, where I ran a guild, where we were doing a lot of... Uh, Rating and end content play. You know, the tank and the healer were constant factors, as was the officers of the guild and people like that and various personalities. Well, yeah, but the we were coach. still in the we were still in the kind of confined cage of what the game could provide. We couldn't like decide like, hey, let's take over South Shore and create our own kingdom in Hillsbrad. We couldn't do that. No. It didn't allow you to because well, but. Yeah, but you made a good coach. I mean, I just like I'd, I'd hear in the background from time to time during a visit, uh, you know, some of those like coaching sessions where you're you're helping newly arrived players uh, up their skills, you know, and it, it was kind of like listening to an old football coach back in high yeah, school, yeah. high school in the seventies. Do you know why that warlock bit the dust? 
because he did not give 110 <laughs> percent. Oh, I wasn't that guy. I was trying to always make the. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I was always trying to get people to just up their game and pay attention a little bit more. But uh, those are rookie numbers. You got to pump those numbers. Yeah, up. that's right. <laughs> Don't bring a fire mage to the dang dong dungeon. Oh, Frost is the way to go, boy. All right, so yeah, yeah, but I want to also step it back when people say, "Well, there was never uh, a real incident of in uh, until the MORPG of people getting together to play a video game." And well, there was a game came out in Got the middle eighties, eighty five, eighty seven. Uh, with Gauntlet 1 and 2. And the Woo-hoo! Atari uh, board members were really hesitant about the guy who designed the game because he designed a console with four controllers. Yeah. And they were all going to be in the same area. And this is a stand-up arcade game uh, for video arcades. Uh, Coin-op, In the op, in yep. 1980s, coin-operated. You know, pump your quarters in. Uh, <laughs> there goes your allowance. And, and here... Is this game that lets four people gather at it? And the Atari board members, like when uh, we was being put through development, like how are four strangers expected to interact with each other? And, Hilariously, that's how. Yeah, and so <laughs> uh, I had a book about the history of video games written about uh, 2005, and it the guy talked about his experiences in California playing, and he's roughly about uh, my age, so that means he's old now. But anyway, he said that when he was playing this game, that actual cliques and groups would form up to meet at various times regularly. And he would even communicate by calling each, you know, to exchange phone numbers so they could call and coordinate the times that they could show up and play if there was a schedule difference. And it was just like playing D&D. And that's what he said is like they figured it out right then and there. And, you know, Gauntlet 2 came out, which was just kind of a little bit more bells and whistles on the same thing. But it was still the same doggone game, and yet it was a blockbuster. I mean, it generated hundreds of thousands of dollars a month for some of these arcades, and they had you know five or six uh, platforms yeah, dedicated to they, it. They needed extra copies of this game, uh, yeah, of this arcade. Instead. Yeah, and it, it silenced all the critics that had uh, poo pooed him before. Yeah. Like you can, you can have one of. Dance, dance, revolution, and that's more than enough. But, you know, you, you've got to form up extra space for the gauntlet. Uh, it's going to need four units of that because there's going to be people coming here playing it day in, day out. Yeah. Well, that was great, and you're right. It was one of those moments where uh, a video game, as simple as it sounded, actually had a similar relationship, you know, where teams were formed. And... Interestingly enough, people who didn't even know each other uh, would wind up playing together regularly. Like, all right, are you free on Saturday at like 4 p.m.? You know? Yeah, let's see if we can get beat the high score. You know, and that was their goal. Is the on the first gauntlet there wasn't really an end; it just kept regenerating dungeons, and people wanted to see. I think it reset itself at 250, which was the standard back then. Like, two, there was 250 levels to every game, and then it would reset itself and go back back to the beginning. Um, a la Pac-Man, Easter eggs, stuff like that. But, you know, there was a, there was a call for a coin-operated video game that was a stand-up where people would sit around and just play together. Oh, stand in, around. Yeah, and <laughs> it would stand up and play around and play this game in groups and form friendships. And it 
was unique. Yeah, I'm not sure anything quite like that has happened since. You know, uh, yeah, before yeah, the MRPG, of course, but but the teamwork approach, the four people actually there together. You know, I mean, the real physical presence. Uh, this was a non-virtual. Yeah, there were ones that like Golden Axe and a couple others that did the same thing, but none of them were as broad. There was a Dungeons & Dragons game, too, Coinop Room, that did that. But it just didn't, it had a little bit more immersive experience into the party dynamic, where Gauntlet was just straight up just destroy everything. Well, and I'm I'm looking forward to the uh, the rise of VR gaming, Mm -hmm. where, you know, we've we've seen the initial outings, and, uh, you know, some of them are showing some really positive results. But, uh, you know, they're not quite there yet. Yeah, we've been talking about VR games for 30 years, and nobody has really... They haven't be- quite cracked the code. Yeah, and I also think that that's where uh, the video game industry is going to be headed next. But, anyway, uh, I just want to end this with this note, that I have no uh, hatred towards any type of other gaming than role-playing games. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, these are our cousins, okay? I mean, look, uh, you know, we were raised in different families, but we are all of one blood. Right, know? and... yeah. So this factionalism, like only board gamers play board games and they should stay on their side of the table. No, 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 no. Look, there's always a good board game that can be brung in, like Trogdor the Burninator and uh, Five Minute Dungeon. <laughs> or uh, or even in the more traditional familiar board game, uh, so there's a chess variant called Onitama that is extremely enjoyable. Oh yeah, like Nightmare Chess. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating spin on the chess core concept. I enjoyed it. But it, point being, you know, we like games. We like the uh, variety that you know gives this uh, enjoyable atmosphere for so many of us to take advantage of. We're we're very lucky to have it. So I, I don't. Yeah, I, in the same camp, I don't bear any malice towards any faction of of gaming. It's all so much awesomeness. But it's nice to see a return to the tabletop. Yeah, the personal touch. Yeah, the social interaction. Place. In an age where social media separates us even further, yeah, it's nice to be brought together it's, by it's a something. backlash. You know, it, it's the the human spirit rebelling against the you know soul crushing anonymity of the them interwebs. And speaking of the interwebs, uh, well, we're <laughs> wearing out our good welcome here oh, yeah, and your we, eardrums. We beat the tar out of that. So we hope you enjoyed us flapping our gums and uh, loving our lips and words. As well as anything you have to say, we're more than willing to hear it. You can get a hold of us on our Facebook page, The Dice Are Screaming, as well as get a hold of us on Twitter at Death Hand Gaming. That's D E E T H, D E T H A N D Gaming, and oh, Magi Vox. As well as uh, you can use the Anchor app to leave us a message and let us know what you think, where we messed up, which we did. Oh, and, I'm sure we left something out, but this yep. is Friday free for all, so. And, of course, we look forward to hearing from you. So, until next time, may may the dice always roll in your favor. We're out. See ya.